we welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor, challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. We'll continue our series we are doing Imitate. Today will be part 11. The series is gaining ground quite quickly. And today is crucial. And um, it's important that everybody pays attention. Over the past few weeks, I've been teaching very practical stuff. Very, very practical stuff that if, you're, if you want to take your walk with God seriously, if you want to take your Christ relationship and your faith seriously, that the practical application of these things should not be such a difficult thing for you to do. And as you apply them, you are guaranteed to see the outflow in your life. Guaranteed. 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 Hallelujah. So we started with um, imitate. We talked about what that was. And then we began to look at the authority of Jesus. Right? And then we looked at the privilege of Jesus. And then we ended with the privilege of Jesus as it had to do with angelic ministration. And I said that, that we're coming into a season of heightened manifestation of the supernatural. Heightened protection. So there are things that... I mean, I heard some, some crazy praise reports from the course of this week. Um, and we just know that God watches over us. Literally, God watches over us. It's not by power, it's not by might. You know, it's by his spirit. And he facilitates that, as we've heard and learned, sometimes via angelic ministry or the ministry of angels as ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation, right? That's where we left off. And so I'll pick off from there today and just run with that. It's important to, to point out as we wrap up that section that had to do with privilege of Jesus. It's important to, to point out that Jesus never abused privilege. Never abused privilege. He had all the privilege. You saw Jesus having access and being able to do stuff that he decided to not do it because his was power under control. Make sense? His was power under control. We see him never abusing privilege. Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. Right? Let's look at a couple more. Luke 22. I need verses 24 to 27. Now there was also a dispute amongst them as to which of them will be considered the greatest. And he said to them, just Jesus now, telling them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so many among you, on the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he who governs as he who serves. Please flip to the TPT because the language is too much for some people to understand in the New King James. But this is not your calling. You will lead by a different model. Tell your neighbor you will lead by a different model. <laughs> the greatest one, imitate, right? The greatest one among you will live as one called to serve others without honor. The greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one who has a servant heart. That's why I've said over and over, me, Pop, there are some things I don't want to learn. 
I don't want to learn some habits like if you don't put me in a particular place, I won't sit. A chair is a chair. Whether it's plastic wooden, whether it has arms, whether it's gold plated, it, it, it takes your bumps, sir. That's all it does. For a short period of time. If you will have honor and authority, you must have a servant heart. I said on Friday that I have positioned and programmed my life a particular way. So I don't have to be checking whether or not I'm humble. I've wrapped my life around service. I'm not afraid of being proud. I've been proud and left it. Are you following me? Next verse. 27. The leaders who are served are the most important in your eyes, but in the kingdom, it is the servants who lead. Am I not here with you, he says, as one who serves you? 27 in the message. Would you rather be the one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? You'd rather eat and be served, right? Knowing you Nigerians. But I've taken my place among you as the one who serves. Jesus had privilege. He could make the disciples do what they didn't want to do. He could wave his hand in their face like a genie. Yeah. Yes, sir. And they would just zombifiably do what he needs them to do. Does that make sense? Yes. But he never did. Ever. You find him in John 13 washing their feet. Which was always reserved for the lowest of servants. So he never abused privilege. And that's instructive for us. As sons of God, we don't abuse privilege. It's privilege. We can do some things, but we will not do some things. Even though we can do them. We can have our way in a particular way, but we will not have our way in a particular way. As husbands to wives, same thing. As employers to employees, same thing. You know, you're an employer and you cannot tell your employee, could you please get that for me? Because you're paying them. You can't ask your employee about their welfare. Feel like, what's my business? I'm paying them. And so we, a little privilege, we abuse it. We treat domestic staff like crap because they are domestic staff. You, you are what? Wild staff. But we don't abuse privilege, not in the kingdom. Not in the kingdom. That's important. We don't abuse privilege. The fact that you can say stuff. You know, there's a lot of us that hurt people because we can talk. And most times because the people you're talking to don't have the level of expression that you have. So you take advantage of that and you're talking and talking and talking and you see them tearing up and then you know that, oh, they are crying because they're being emotional, they can't talk back and you step up the heat. That's witchcraft. Who knows what I'm talking about? So you take advantage and you go in and go in and go in because you know that they can't speak as fast as you or they can't say three or four sentences without starting to cry. So you that don't have tear ducts because you give yours as an offering, you know, there's people that they were asked for to give what is precious to them they had nothing to give. They just took out their chair ducts and put it in the offering basket. And they, they give out their ability to cry. They only cry in their mind. And so you're not touching somebody. We don't abuse privilege. There are things that I don't ask for because I know that if I ask for, I will get. So I don't ask. There are things that I don't do because I know that if I do them, they will not be rebuffed. So I don't do them. Is you training yourself to not abuse privilege. And we're learning that from Jesus. All of us, including me. Amen. So that was the authority of Jesus and then the privilege of Jesus. Today we're dealing with the submission of Jesus and the apostles. The submission 
of Jesus and the apostles. That's the next part we are considering in the Imitate series. James 4 and 7. James 4 and 7. And it says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ephesians 5.21. This is submitting to God. 5.21 says, submitting to one another. Can you see that? Submit to God. James 4. Submit to one another. Same word. In the fear of God. Submit to one another. The word submit is the word hupatiso in the Greek. That's the word used there over and over. It's also the same word that means to be subject to. And essentially to submit means to come under someone in spite of you, who you are and what you know. That's what it means, hupatazo in the Greek. H-U-P-A-T-A-Z-Z-O or Z-Z-O, depending on your English teacher. Right? Hupatazo or hupatazo. Z-Z-O or S-S-O. Same thing. To be subject to. So in, in Romans 13, when it says, let everyone be subject to governing authorities, is the same word used. Does that make sense? To come, to bring yourself under someone in spite of you, your person, and what you know. That's what it means to submit. Now, very soon, you'll see how difficult this is. You see how it's, it's easy to be infatuated, it's easy to be obsessed, it's easy to love, it's easy to give, it's easy to care for. It's difficult to submit for everybody. The people who are arguing about others submitting to them, to them, they themselves have issues not submitting. So number one starts to submit to God, right? Resist the devil. Text number two, submit to one another in the fear of God. Romans 13, 1. You see another one. Romans 13, 1. Let every soul be subject, the same word, to the governing authorities. So submit to God, submit to one another, submit to government. Get your NIN, get your NIN, link your phone to NIN. You stay up speaking in tongues. Hey, hey, hey. You cannot cancel by prayer what is obtainable by submission. You cannot. Are you hearing me? So that's the word Hupatazo. Let's start looking at it. The submission of Jesus and the apostles. I wrote here, I've just, I've just explained to you what the Greek word means, right? To be, to be under someone or to come under someone in spite of you yourself and what you know. Make sense? That puts straight away out there that it's not every time that who you submit to would be better than you. It's not every time who you're submitting to would be better than you. In other words, you find yourself being required to submit to people that at least in certain areas you are better than. Are you following me? But submission is not about knowledge as much as it is about placement. Do you understand? Submission is not so much about knowledge, it's not about so, so much about how much you know versus how much the person knows, as much as it is about what? Placement. Placement. And I don't want to use the word authority because authority will not always be, will be synonymous to placement. Make sense? 
sometimes you can have somebody who, let me use spousal submission as an example. You know, it says, obviously, we all know that Colossians 3, Philipp, um, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, wives submit to your own husbands, and then husbands love your wives. But then it, it's actually Ephesians 5.22 that says, wives submit to your own husbands. But then you know, husbands also submit to wives. And you wonder how? The Bible doesn't say husbands submit to your wives. Yes, but in 21, it says submit to one another. So if wife is a son of God, there's a submission that husband owes wife as son of God. Husband is not submitting as wife, as, you know, as unto wife. He's submitting as one son of God to the other. And that submission is elevated above wife submitting to husband. Because if you are to submit to me as you are submitting to, my hus- to a husband as unto the Lord, and I'm to submit to you in the fear of God, that one carries more weight. So there are things that I, as a husband I have learned to do in my own submission. Submission as per obedience to God's word. Not submission as per performance reward of my wife. So I'm not submitting to my wife because she's submitting to me. I'm not submitting to my wife because she's a good wife. If she is, which she is, that's not the reason for submission. It's because the scripture says, submit to one another in the fear of God. So I owe my wife gospel submission. Yeah. Do you understand? New Testament submission that is elevated above wife. Submit to your husband. Oh, husband is not told to submit to the wife. But sons of God are told to submit to one another. So I cannot get up and be the collector of submission and not be giver of the same. Are you following? So submission here, I've wrote as a working definition. I wrote that submission means to acknowledge you would have done things differently, but yet allow yourself to do what is required of you when it is required, as it is required, without discoloring it with your preference. To submit means to acknowledge that you could have done a particular thing a different way. Are you here? And in spite of that acknowledgement, allow yourself to do what is required of you when it is required, how it is required, without discoloring it with your preference or attitude. I'll take it one more time. To submit means to acknowledge that you would have done things differently or a particular way, but yet allow yourself to do what is required of you when it is required of you, as or how it is required of you, without discoloring it with your preference or your opinion. In other words, if you attacked something and did it, you didn't submit. Are you following? I can do it this way. I can do it this other way to achieve that. You know that, and in spite of that, you do it how you are told, when you are told, and don't allow how you felt you'd have otherwise done it to discolor how you did it. So that when you eventually get it done, it must look like how your head or the person you submit to wanted it done. And we struggle with that. You do something that is asked of you, how you want to do it, because you feel you have enough experience to have done this thing without the person who told you to do it, telling you how to do it. In fact, the person that's telling you to do it doesn't even know how to do it, doesn't know that there are cheaper ways to do it, doesn't know that you can also go this other way and get it done. You didn't submit. 
And so this is very, this is very, this is very deep stuff. It's what we all struggle with. Acknowledging you could have done things differently, yet doing what is required of you, when it is required of you, how it is required of you, without discoloring it with your preference. In other words, when submission comes to play, what you know doesn't matter. Jesus knew all things and submitted. In submission, what you know doesn't matter. What you do with, what is, with the, the demand that is placed on you, that's what matters. The same thing applies to us and God. I get offended when I hear people speaking and saying, the Holy Spirit said I should go here. And I now said, Holy Spirit, why should I? Eh? You can hear God. You can hear God. And God said, and you are negotiating. God. Knowing that I can do this differently. But then, choosing to come under somebody to do what is required, when it is required, how it is required, and not discolor it with my own opinion. That's submission. So doing what I asked the way you wanted is disobedience. Are you hearing me? Doing what I asked you to do the way you wanted to do it is disobedience. Doing what I asked you to do when it was convenient for you is disobedience. But you see, we are quick to settle at the fact that, ah, and it's a very Nigerian attitude, it stinks. Did I not do what I wanted? I gave you what you want now. Last, last. You wanted it black, I gave it black. What else do you want? Should I keep myself? Yes. Submission means to acknowledge you would have done things differently, yet allow yourself to do what is required of you, when it is required, how it is required, without discoloring it with your opinion until you get to the point where in that matter you no longer have an opinion. So submission starts at knowing I can do it differently. But I will do what you say. And it ends at, I don't even need to figure out my way of doing this. Let's do it your way. And a lot of us are there with God, you know. You want to do what God wants, the way, what God asks, the way you want way you want. So I put it here. Two, as it were, dimensions to submission. Progressive submission and perfect submission. Progressive submission is when you know that I, I, I can do this differently. Everything that comes up, you know how you want to do it. And that's great. Perfect submission is where you don't even process because you run with exact matching orders. Does that make sense? Progressive submission. Insubmission or, or insubordination or obstinacy is where God says to you, do an event. You know the Spanish people like that. They'll say, God said I should do a worship concert. And we should spend quality time worshiping him. You now see the flyer. There's 19 guest artists. Five, five minutes. And the MC is a comedian that has no spirit. And when you gather how much time the MC used in the program, the MC was the Almighty. Even God did not get as much playing time as the MC. MC will cut short a flow and talk and laugh. I say, oh, that was really nice. So even though man, I don't tell you what I can show and sing. And you say, God told you to create a worship atmosphere. At that point, you're not even submitted. Because God told you program, yes. The God that told you a program, you should have stayed there until he tells you how. Because if you stay there long enough, he will give you the blueprint. 
You can't want to do what God said the way you want. You bring all your friends. When I was, I was starting up in ministry, there was nobody that was giving me platform. But I used to sing for Wisdom Z all the time. If you just help me, you give me ten on to sing, give me ten on to sing. So now I want to do program. I should honor Wisdom Zeal by getting him to come and sing in the program. Even though I know that Wisdom Zeal's dimension of ministry is not in line with what God has called me to do. So you give people spiritual running stomach. There's progressive submission and there is perfect submission. Are you following this? You get to the place where you no longer process things differently. You do them exactly how you're told. God, I want to do it this way, but I will do it your way. That's good, but that's not the end. The end is, God, I have no other way to do this but your way. That's when submission is perfect. Did you get what I said? Progressive submission. Ah, God, I want to do it like this. But I will do it your way. Perfect submission. You're not even trying to think of how you could have done it. Because you know there's a God that tells you how to do it. And there's rest, tremendous rest to be found in the place of perfect submission. Because he that you're submitted to knows exactly what your faculties are and knows how to deploy them. When to deploy them. Where to deploy them. And for what to deploy them. You enter rest. Because at that point you're not trying to figure out anything. Does that make sense? You're not trying to figure out anything. You are in perfect rest because you are in perfect submission. You are told to do something. You do them exactly how you are told using the same words. But sometimes you get concerned with wanting to be political. Pass what your ogre said without wanting to receive the reaction that might be directed at your ogre. You know what I'm talking about. So you will change the words a little bit to make it less harsh or less confrontational. And so that you will not be looked at funny. And you sell your august dream for your convenience. You sell your loyalty to your superior for your convenience. And then guess what happens? After you leave, you become restless because you know you colored the message. You are even more restless because you don't have the capacity to go back to the person that sent you and say, I didn't quite say it the way you said, so I might not have gotten the appropriate response, and I'm sorry, and that disturbs you even more. Your frustration rises to the third and final level by the time that person does something and messes it up. And you know you are responsible. You know you're responsible. Because you altered the instruction. You colored the instruction. You put yourself first. And we do that a lot with God. It's because we do it with God that we do it with one another. If you didn't do it with God, you will not do it to your brother. You won't. And we do that a great deal. And you, you find yourself being disturbed at every point in time because you're not working in perfect submission. So you're not working in perfect rest. There's so much rest to be found in perfect submission. He drives, you follow. He leads, you follow. He instructs, you do. What he says, when he says, how he says, to whom he says. And whatever backlash or frontlash you receive is directed at he who sent you. Simple. Simple. You can be strong in ten areas. And I tell you to do one thing and you bring your ten faculties to do it. You mess it up. It's overkill. Or you can trust that I know your 10 faculties and I know which particular faculty should be deployed now. 
and you channel all your energies into the one faculty and nail that instruction to the latter. Because I don't need you to show me you are good in carpentry if it's plumbing I need you to do. If I tell you, screw this thing, I don't need you to nail it. Because you have concluded, nail, go strong, pass. No. Screw it! Because if it doesn't hold, I will not hold you responsible. If you nail it and it rusts, I hold you responsible. Even though your intentions were great. But I will, I will lay it on you because you changed my instruction. And you thought you changed it for my good. I didn't send you. So there's much rest to be found in perfect submission. Perfect submission. And somebody will go, yeah, but doesn't that make me a zombie? Yes! You must be ready to be zombified and be okay with it. You must. You can't be led if you can see. It's one pair of eyes that leads, not two. So you must close your eyes and be happy to be led. It's dangerous to deal with any human being who has submission issues. They think too much of themselves. A pastor without a pastor is dangerous. He's more dangerous than a chief priest. Do you hear me? A pastor without a pastor is more dangerous than a witch doctor. Because a witch doctor has a higher witch doctor in that area that he submits to. Somebody will bring some, a problem from another shrine. Somebody that they should kill. And this person will consult the spirits. And a senior or seniora witch doctor will say, no, this one we have done something for him. He can only annul what was done if it was done by a junior high priest or chief priest. Are you following me? He cannot undo what a higher one did. He can die. He can only undo it if it was a lesser one that did it. So when they meet in their coven, he can explain to him that you cannot tie this person. It's my own. I'll lose them. Are you here? There's so much rest in perfect submission. Let's do a flip side. The flip side of, or the, shall I say, the opposite of submission, obedience, becomes obstinacy. Obstinacy when someone is obstinate. To be obstinate means when you cannot allow yourself to act differently to your own knowledge or opinion, no matter how true or valid the instruction is. I know what you have said is true, but I trust you, but I cannot. Obstinacy. OBS. T-I-N-A-C-Y. Obstinacy. Obstinacy. When someone is obstinate. I mean, for a closer synonym, which is not quite it, but a close enough synonym for obstinacy is stubbornness. But stubbornness is just a refusal to do. Does that make sense? Obstinacy is a, a, a stance, a mindset that I have known that this is what I should do, but I will not do it. And most times, I will just not do it because it's you that is telling me to do it. That's obstinacy. Stubbornness is just somebody who is wired to say no. Does that make sense? Just no. Just no. No is more convenient than yes. Does that make sense? Just no, 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 no. 
No, I cannot, I will not, I cannot, I will not, I cannot, I will not. Obstinacy, on the other hand, is someone that has all the evidences convincing you of why you should, and yet you insist, I will not. Are you following? It's like Moses in his burning bush encounter and, and following from that. God is telling you, you, your hand entered your pocket, came out, was leprous. Leprous has entered your pocket, came out, was clean. Your rod was in your hand. You brought the rod from Egypt. Jethro gave you to, to look after sheep. You know that that rod is not a snake. You know your rod is a rod. Throw it on the ground. It becomes a snake. Hold the snake by the tail. You hold it by the snake. It becomes a rod. And you are still arguing with God. They have not told me. Hey, hey, what, what, who will I tell them sent me? Tell them the person that changed your rod to snakes. Then to. I don't want to change it yourself. I cannot speak. What will I say? You are, that's obstinacy. It's hard-headedness. Are you following me? In the face of compelling evidence, you refuse to change your mind. You're obstinate. And most times, nothing chokes faith like obstinacy. You can see. You know agree. You don't want to do. No matter how true or valid you, don't, you can't act different. This is how I've always done it. You know, those, you know those people? I've always been like this. This is me. Take it or leave it. We will leave it. Because you see, obstinate people, insubmissive people, especially in church, have a false demonic sense of entitlement that makes them feel we must deal with them as they are. The Lord rebuke you. So they want everybody to change or revolve around them. They never want to change. They're so comfortable. Everybody around them should change to suit them. It's witchcraft. Submitting to one another. You have some submitting to do. You owe the person sat next to you a level of godly submission. Nobody's alone to themselves. Grace comes teaching you to flee ungodly lust. Not cementing you inside ungodly lust. The grace of God appeared to all men, Titus, Titus 2, 11, teaching them to flee ungodly lust. Grace is not license for nonsense. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly loss, we shall live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That's what grace does. Grace teaches you to rise above the lust of this world. It doesn't perpetuate error. It deals with error. So there's nowhere we don't preach that grace enables you to behave anyhow. Grace was never preached that way. Grace is not earned by what you do. But what you do reflects grace. So in church particularly, ah, no, 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 this is me. Change around me. There's people that if they're in any department, they expect that the time of meeting of that department, the day of meeting of that department should change to suit them. And they'll keep moving different motions, frustrating everything you do if it doesn't favor them. They're witches. That's not the spirit of Christ. It's not. That's a manipulative spirit. You can't always have your way. Tell your neighbor. You can't always have your way. You can't always have your way. 
Life is not wired around you. It's wired around us. It's community. Our salvation is communal. So you cannot allow yourself to act different to your own knowledge or opinion, no matter how true or how valid. Obstinacy is the resistance against a thing, notion, or instruction because it didn't come from you or because you have your preconceived way of doing things. Resisting a thing, notion, or instruction just because it didn't come from you or because you have your way of doing it. As long as you are not the leader, everything the leader does is wrong. You are a witch. Am I stuttering? Because disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft. Just when, when you think witch, you think people that fly with broom. They have evolved though. <laughs> they have evolved. No, no, no. 21st century witches are very deep. They're very sophisticated. They don't use no broom no more. Do you still love me? Yes. As long as you're not the leader, anything the leader says or does is wrong. Because you always know a better way. So you frustrate not just the leader, but you also try to frustrate or disrespect the person that puts the leader there. You, every time you resist delegated authority, you make the superior look foolish for putting them there. So in church, for instance, you are in a ministry unit and you have a deacon in charge, a DIC, or a pastor in charge, and you disrespect them and you say you love Pav. You are a witch. Because you have just told that person that Pav was wrong to put them there. And if you question my leadership, you don't belong here. You're not here because I'm a good leader. You're here because you were planted here. Because you don't choose your pastor. You are led to your pastor. Are you, are you hearing me? Your pastor is chosen for you. Jeremiah 3.15. Your pastor is chosen for you and you are led to him. Jeremiah 3.15. Put it up. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart. Who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Switch to the old King James. KJV. I will give you pastors. Who will give you? God. You don't pick a pastor. You are led to one that was given to you. So most times, if you can successfully disrespect your pastor, you chose him. Are you here? Yes. If you can successfully disrespect, disobey, disregard your pastor. If you can successfully walk in insubordination, you chose your pastor. So you can determine to get rid of him. You can determine to what degree you follow. But if your pastor was chosen for you and given to you such that you were now led, your steps were ordered until you met with your pastor, you would never walk against your pastor. Ever. Ever. You would never walk against somebody that you submit to. Somebody you have chosen to come subject to. Your opinions don't matter until they are requested. So insubordinate people will, you know, or obstinate people will resist anything just because it didn't come from them. So you struggle. Why should I sit when you tell me to sit? I'm the one that tells people when to sit and how to sit. I take exceptions to you telling me, sit, don't move. That's flesh. Because you saw what Jesus said about how the posture in the kingdom is a servant's heart. Luke 22, did you see it? Yes, sir. Yeah. A servant's heart. And then you're even more senseless when you are in a house that is led by somebody who is a core servant. 
You look foolish when you are proud in this house. If you are successfully proud, you look foolish and you stink. Because it's obvious you didn't get that from the house. It's obvious. Because for us, leadership is service. Service. I refuse the growth that puts me over somebody God put over me. That growth kills. I tell people all the time, I imagine myself arguing with my pastor. I imagine my pastor trying to correct me. And I'm saying, no, sir, you cannot correct me like that. Because this generation, I don't know where you guys got your own from. You can't correct me. You can't, sir. When you spoke, I was offended by the way you spoke to me. Love for yourself. There's a level of rest you will not come into. There's a level of maturity you won't come into. Son of God. Until you submit yourself to the process. And this is how men among sons are raised. What I'm teaching you. Are you here? Submission. And you be you bone vex. Why did pastor talk to you? My father calls me and tells me that somebody came, a contemporary came to say something that has to do with me. And I'm angry at the person for going to tell my father. You have just belittled your father. In the eyes of the person that took the matter to him. I call you as your pastor and I say, I'm dealing with this thing. You had something to do with this person. And you attack the person for coming to me. You have just told the person I'm not your pastor. And instantly I adjust how I'm dealing with you. I just resume loving you as you are. And never trying to take responsibility for you. Because you have, you have shown that I'm not I'm only your pastor when you want me to be. To the measure that you want me to be. I'm a dispensable unit in your faith walk. You know, I mean, you appointed me so you can remove me. Do you understand? You decided to, to be under me. So when it not, don't favor you, you just throw it off. When it favors you, that's obstinacy. You know, you know. The word of God says that this is how you ought to be. And you refuse. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgive you. You are presented with the hard facts. You refuse. That's obstinacy. And such a person doesn't walk into the fullness of their sonship manifestation in the earth. I know the Bible says, but. I know you preach this thing, but. You know, come and preach. Ask 17, the Berean Christians. Hello! Who told you they were Christians? The Berean Christians searched every scripture. It doesn't say that. It says the Jews in Berea were more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica. Why? Earlier in the chapter, the Jews in Thessalonica, when they heard the gospel, for the first time, they gathered the people, incited an insurrection against the apostles, and wanted to have them beaten. Why? They were hearing a grace message for the first time that was contrary to the law message they had always known. They were not Christians. They were Jews who had been slapped with the gospel for the first time. So they resisted. Started an insurrection against the apostles. So they went to Berea. Now, the Jews in Berea, unlike the Jews in Thessalonica, they were more noble in that when they heard this truth for the first time, unlike the Jews in Thessalonica, these particular Berean Jews went back into the scriptures to see that this thing Paul is telling us about grace through faith and not of works, and he's using it from the law. This thing is actually in the Bible. How that Christ died according to my gospel, according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15. So the Berean Jews took this new message they had heard and went to search it out. 
to find out if these things were so. It does not say in the text, and it does not imply that every time Paul taught them the gospel as believers, they went to go and check whether what Paul said was true. Because if that's the case, then every other church had failed. It means every other church, like the Ephesian church, the Colossian church, the Corinthian church, that did not search and, and vet Paul's every message, it means they were all foolish. And the only true believers were the ones in Berea. That's not what the text is saying. That's why it's dangerous to pick one verse and ignore the context, ignore the pretext, ignore what he's saying, and just arrive at a conclusion. Even if the translators, made, the translators make mistakes. Are you following me? Hey, the Berean Christians, they were not Christians. They were hearing the gospel for the first time. They were Jews. What made them more noble than Thessalonica? They did not beat the truth, people, because they didn't know it. This time around, when they heard, unlike these guys that beat these guys up and tried to create a rebellion, these guys thought, let us go and be sure that this thing they're preaching now about grace is true. It doesn't say that every time Paul preached, they went to search. Because what is true is true. Oh, I know the Bible says, but. I know you've said this text means this, but. You will never receive. Because the posture of a believer to God's word is to receive it, to believe it, and then you understand it. God's word must be received first. Believed first before it can be understood. You cannot understand what you have not believed. Does that make sense? Because the spirit of understanding comes into those who believe. <laughs> Without believing, you don't have the spirit by which you can understand. Are you guys hearing me? You don't have the spirit. Some people call it the seven spirits of God. It's not seven spirits of God. It's the seven dimensions of the manifestation of the spirit of God. The one spirit. Isaiah 11. And then Revelation 4, 5, 6. Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Seven, as it were, dimensions. Revelation repeats this text in two instances in Revelation. So there's a branch of theology that has spawned this to become seven spirits of God. Because Revelation says, to the seven spirits. And so we take it literally. Forgetting that the whole of Revelation is not literal. Ouch. The whole of Revelation is allegorical. Because some of you are waiting to see dragon fly in the sky. Trying to snatch a baby as a woman is burning the baby. Dragon just coming. Da, da, da. You are just, you know. You have watched too much animation. How to tame your dragon, part one and two. <laughs> is it helping anybody? If you can disrespect leadership, you chose it. If it was given to you and you were led to it, you would never take it for granted one day. One day. In one day, you will never take it for granted. Never. Such relationships are forever. So obstinacy is refusing to change or to refusing to act differently regardless of information you have received that should cause you to do so. You do things a particular way. You get information. Information is supposed to change your trajectory. Change your path so that what you were doing before, by virtue of the new information you received, it causes you to act differently. And when you refuse to shift, in spite of having been presented information, you're obstinate. And you're showing that you don't belong where you belong. Get ready to lose pastoral covering. Get ready to lose your marriage. Get ready to lose your job. 
Because you change, you travel in the direction of information you receive. Does that make sense? Let's, let's go on. Submission, in, in what realm? Let me ask this question. In what realm does submission sit in? What faculty of a, of a person does submission sit in? Your mind? Submission has, has to do with your mind because prim, the primary element for submission is your will. And it's your will resides in the realm of your mind. Does that make sense? Submission has to do with your will. And your will is resident in your mind. So submission has to do with you choosing to or choosing not to. It's a choice. And most times we choose to be insubmissive just because we have always been accustomed to choosing this way. So no matter how much fresh information comes to you, you don't have the security to choose differently. Because you have always done it like this. Does that make sense? Yeah. You've always done it like this. And you feel like your individuality is threatened. You feel like your personal principles, you know, my principle is that. The way I know it is that. How I understand this thing is that. But then you have fresh information. You should let that information alter your trajectory. Make sense? It has to do with your will. So you, you, you choose to do something. You choose to not do something. Because your will is resident in your mind. And your mind is not born again. And your mind will never be born again. Newsflash. Your mind will never be born again. It's not born again. In fact, your mind as it is now, until you renew it, is born against. So you find yourself as a son of God who is born again. Doing stuff that are born against. Because of your mind. And that is why I've said over and over. Salvation is different from mind renewal. A believer sins because his mind is not renewed. Not because he's a sinner. So we are not judged for doing. Because what we are doing is from the realm of the mind. And you are not saved in your mind. So what your mind influences cannot Pollute your spirit that is eternally saved. Theologians and religious people cannot grasp this. Do you understand what I'm saying? A believer sins or does wrong because their mind is not renewed. So what wrong a believer does is not showing that he's not saved. It's showing that his mind is still twisted. In spite of his salvation. Go and check your Bible. So when you do wrong, you are showing that your mind is still dirty. Even though you are clean. But the doing of a person will come from the mind. Your body does not respond to your spirit. Your body does not know your spirit. Your spirit does not know your body. Spirit and flesh do not intermingle. The interface between your spirit and your body is your mind. Do you understand? If you do something, if you sleep, it's not your spirit that made you sleep. It's your mind. It's your soul. Does that make sense? If you're hungry for food, it's not your spirit that told you you were hungry. It's your mental faculty. 
Are you following me here? If you're upset, it's not your spirit that's upset. It's your mind, your soul. But you're not born again in any of these realms. You're born again in your spirit. So there's a problem. You are saved, but you're acting stupidly. Because now your action is a function of your mind. So you curse, you swear, you get angry, you struggle with stuff, and then believers, Christians, religious people, start to judge a son of God by the product of his mind rather than by the source of his spirit. So you remove somebody's salvation because they messed up and you don't understand that the spirit of God is in a man. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. The spirit of God is in a man and the spirit of God is perfect. Sin cannot corrupt the spirit of God ever. The spirit of God instead came and dealt with sin. So the spirit of God is not threatened by sin and salvation sits in the realm of the spirit. So your security is not in performance. Yes, it's in the perpetuity of your spirit, which is a deposit of the spirit of God, guarantee of eternal life. So now a believer will sin less to the measure that his mind is renewed more. Even though his spirit is perfect. Does that make sense? There's no human being that can be without sin enough to qualify for rapture. Shut up. Your body is holy enough. That you can feel like, yeah, when the rapture takes place, I didn't smoke, I didn't drink. And my friend, if we check the bone and marrow of your spirit, we will find something. If we check the dividing of spirit and soul of your life, we will find something. The anger that you had that nobody saw because you are Geo. Your brother holy. Your sister pious. Carry your head up. You're righteous. You don't drink. You don't smoke. You don't hug. You don't handshake. But inside your heart, there's dark recesses that you and God know. Or you think because you hide it where God does not see. So scripture was not lying when it says, if thou shalt regard iniquity, who shall stand? Nobody is qualified for the heaven you want to make. Nobody. Because if in this era you can qualify for heaven, then God is unfair to everyone who kept the law and could not be righteous. You can sit here and walk your way to heaven and be holy and be righteous and be sinless. Then God was a liar if the law could not make anybody perfect. Because there were men who kept it. There were men who kept it. And the keeping of it could not make anybody perfect. Scripture says that. The law cannot make anyone perfect. So what do you think you are doing? Put your foot wrong. That is a function of your mind, sir. That's why scripture says in Ephesians 4, I think 21, and Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is it Ephesians 4, 21 or 4, 23? 23. And Romans 12 and 2. Ephesians 4, 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Romans 12 and 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing 
of your mind. It doesn't stop there. That's where Christians always stop. The text doesn't stop there. So that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And please, not three wills of God. Will of God that is good. Will of God that is acceptable. Will of God that is perfect. One will. God doesn't have three wills or three portals of will. Three dimensions. Three realms. You can come into the good will of God, but you got to do something to get into the acceptable will. And you got to press in some more and use the blood for access to get into the perfect will. So there's a will of God that is not perfect from a God that is perfect. Sometimes we don't understand the implication of the things that we teach. There's a will of God that's not acceptable. It's just good. You don't have to come up to Touch God somewhere. Now touch him. Now come up to second heaven of his will. Acceptable. Acceptable to who? Let's stay with the mind. I just need to puncture that for somebody. Renew your mind that you may prove his will. That you may understand his will. That you may walk in his will. Now that you are a son, fix your mind. That's what scripture is saying. Or else you will be acting stupidly. Even though you are a son. We have now taken all of salvation and put it at the realm of the mind. That's why you're afraid that you are losing it. So you start to quote, work out your salvation. Scripture you don't understand. Faith without works is dead. Scripture you don't understand. And you don't know the difference between faith as a gift of the spirit. Faith as an energizer to receive the gospel of grace. Faith as the ability to believe for the impossible. And faith as doctrine. You don't know. You just saw faith. Faith without works is dead. This, is the faith being talked about in James doctrine? Or is it lifestyle? Because you saw faith here. You think that God is so confused that he will say faith here and what he's saying faith here is cancelling what he said here. That's, I, I have a problem with such Christians that you give them a scripture and they will now use another scripture to block you. Like God was confused. God said this here but he didn't mean it here because see God remixed what he said here. He now says something here that's different to what he said. You're a lazy Bible student. Sit down. Let somebody teach you. Because you cannot imply that God is confused. That he says one thing here and, and means something else. And then says it here and then completely cancels out what he meant here. The person that said is not of works will now say, show me works. And you think he's saying the same thing. The person that says not of works, like lest any man should boast. The person that says a righteousness apart from the law has been revealed. The person that says if his grace is not works, otherwise grace cannot be said to be grace. The same person will now come and say, show me your works. And I'll show you your faith. Then that God should not be followed. Should not be followed. Or we are missing what is being said. Then you now look at James and show. It was James talking about doctrine. Or was he talking about lifestyle? Because salvation is the realm of the spirit. He has sent forth Galatians 4. The spirit of his son. Into your heart. Crying, Abba Father. Galatians 4, 6, I believe. Sent forth the Spirit. The Spirit of God bears witness with our spirits. Romans 8, 15, I believe. That we are the sons of God. And if sons, heirs. Is a spirit thing, sir. Yes, sir. 
and spirit is perfect. We have come, not we will come, Hebrews 10. We have come to the spirits of just men made. So what is your spirit? Perfect. Now. Otherwise, he should have said, we have come to the spirits of just men being made perfect. No, it says in Romans, in the same Hebrews 10, I think 14, that by one sacrifice, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So we are perfected forever. But we are being sanctified. And until your sanctification is complete, you still do some nonsense. So we teach you to renew your mind so you do nonsense less. So the growth of a believer is actually growth in mind control. Because your spirit, Godwin, does not grow. Because it's not your spirit. It's the spirit of God. He sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart. Stella, the spirit of God is complete. It does not grow. The spirit of God does not increase. The spirit of God does not enlarge. Now your mind has to get better so your mind can appropriate the spirit and cause your body to respond. That is growth. So really what we call spiritual growth is actually mind awareness to spiritual reality. Because spiritual reality is constant. It's your awareness that is a variable. Does that make sense? So somebody walks with God at a higher dimension than another because that person has mastered how to appropriate the same reality that everybody has. Now that reality is the same. So it's telling you, walk in the spirit. You, you are a spirit, walk in it. Renew your mind, put off walking. Are you here? So, so when we say the mind is the battleground of life, now you understand. You must download your reality from your spirit into your mind for it to act on your body. That's why worship originates from the spirit. Then it influences your mind and your body responds. Are you following? Yes, sir. So your mind is where submission sits. You submit as your will. Your will is resident in your mind. That means you will only submit to the measure that your mind is renewed. Every act of insubmission or insubordination or obstinacy is a product or function of an unrenewed mind. You are still a son of God, but you are functioning less than your best. And you die as a mere man, as scripture says. You will go through the earth. You are saved, but you will be useless in the earth. And you enter eternity with nothing to show. Saved, but their works burned as though with fire. Let's teach this thing right. There's a lot of people whose salvation the church took from them that you'll be shocked to see on the day of the Lord. Be shocked. You'll be shocked. If some people had their way, they would choose to not enter heaven because of who they're sharing it with. People that you are sure you collected back their salvation, you can't be saved. Nah. I revoke it. You'll be shocked. People that you wrote off. You see them, they're clothed in fine linen. Ah. Revelation 21. Yes, sir. Which is the righteousness of the saints. You're wondering, how did you get here? The same way you got there. Ah, if it's good enough for the goose, ma. It's good for the gander. Is this helping anybody? Yes, sir.
So we must renew our minds. We must think differently in order to be able to submit. We must operate only by the mind of Christ Jesus. If you follow your mind, you'll miss it. Guaranteed. Your mind, sir, cannot be trusted. I mean, I must follow my mind. I must follow my mind. I must follow my mind. That's why you're always in trouble. Don't think of following a mind you have not renewed. It's dangerous. And to renew your mind means to delete it all and take his mind and put in you. That's renew, new, new. Another new mind. This your mind is irreparable. It cannot be jazzed up. This is your mind. It's so messed up. So messed up. You can't fix it. Your mind. Because that's the dumping ground of life. So to renew your mind, you actually offload it. And let this mind, which was in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2.5, now be in you. You see, I'm not preaching my own words. You have to literally offload your mind. I've taught you here before in help, I'm losing my mind. It's like an operating system on a laptop. I just got a laptop for streaming. Got a laptop, it has been used for years. It was on Windows 7. And the streaming software runs only on Windows 10, 64-bit. This guy was running Windows 7, 32-bit. I had to go to Samuel Ode, and I said, this is what I want to use this laptop for. From the specs of the processor, from the specs of the RAM, it has the capacity to run what we want to use it for, but this operating system won't allow it. So can you flash this computer and install Windows 10 64-bit? Because that it gives it the architecture to run what I need it to do. That's what mind renewal is. We cannot take a 64-bit Windows 10 and merge it with a 32-bit Windows 7. The kernels will not work together. For some of you that know what I'm talking about. The algorithms won't work together. There will be gross incompatibility. So we, need to, we know that we have what it takes at the, the core. The forecome of this computer can run what we need it to run, but not with this current mind. Are you following me? But the computer has the capacity to do stuff flawlessly. The capacity is, re, is, is conditioned or is limited to the state of its mind. So to unleash full capacity, we must flash the mind of this guy, the intelligence of this guy, and load an intelligence that is consistent with its capacity. Are you following me? Load an intelligence that is consistent with the capacity. In other words, an intelligence, a mind, that can enable this thing to do what it is actually wired To to do. So your spirit in your body is useless until your mind lines up in the earth. Who benefit anybody here? You might as well just wait and just go there. Does that make sense? Yes, Cross over and wait for us. But if you be relevant in the earth, if you're relevant in church as an advancement of kingdom, you must offload your mind and take on a mind that can unleash your capacity. And your mind cannot unleash the capacity of your spirit. Only the mind of the spirit. You have the spirit of Christ. Spirit of Christ cannot run on your mind. Your mind is not compatible to unleash the capacity of you as a man in whom is the spirit of Christ. 
Are you getting this place? But you have the spirit. Your architecture is spirit. Yeah, your makeup is spirit. And spirit is limitless. But your mind cannot run this program called spirit. The OS that is your mind cannot run this program that has been downloaded to you. The only architecture, the only mind, the only intelligence that can run it is the mind of the person who is in you. So now you have his spirit, collect his mind. Only his mind can operate his spirit. So as a believer, son of God, you have the spirit of God. You are, you are messing up because you are trying to run the spirit of God with your mind. So there's incompatibility issues. You are saved though. You're not lost. You cannot be lost because your mind messed up. Because you are not saved in your mind. But you are acting up because your mind is messed up. There's a conflict. So it is important that you renew your mind so that you can prove yes, his will. Yes, so when you are struggling with submission, and I'll end here, when you are struggling with submission, it is a sign that your mind lacks a degree of renewal. You load it to a particular percentage. Certain aspects of your architecture can work. Certain other aspects cannot work. Because you finish loading your Windows 10 64-bit operating system and the computer is good to go until you realize that there are some specific drivers you don't have. So you need to update your USB driver. You need to update your Bluetooth driver. You need to update your CD driver, CD-ROM, if you still have one of those guys on your computer. You need to, and then certain peripherals that you are adding, you need to update their drivers, even though you have successfully rebooted or reinstalled your OS. So whatever hitches we are seeing in you as a believer, you are perfect. You are just rough around the edges. Some drivers are missing. Now, if you will not throw away your laptop because the USB driver is missing, why are you so stupid to believe God will throw away a son because some drivers are missing? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts, you how much more your heavenly father? I'm gone past the point where you can make me doubt my salvation. Because you should throw away your laptop because the driver is outdated. And you don't have time for you. The entire worth of the laptop is contingent on the update of the drivers. You don't have time to run about with a laptop that has outdated drivers. So you throw it away. And you think because you threw it away, everybody else in your position should throw it away. And because you have that delusion, you also conclude God should throw away stuff because he that made the computer cannot have the driver to update. He, the potter. Listen, if God could not preserve you, he would never have saved you. And what, what kind of shoddy job is that? You start where you cannot finish. You, God, started something. Me, man, should finish it. Then you, God, should be serving me. Because you cannot come and claim that you are the author and finisher of my faith. No, you are the author, I'm the finisher. Give me due, give me due credit. Yeah. Then we can talk. Then let's know how to do the salvation thing. You can't take all the credit and give me work to do, and you're taking all the credit. What, what nonsense is that? You can't take all the credit. So let me know that you are author, I'm finisher. Hey! Then let's rework it. Let me know it's faith and some works. Let's understand it. Come and take all the credit and be posing like someone that did everything. Be calling it finished work when it's not finished.
And you are robbing me now. No, so let's rewrite the credits of this narrative. Sir, you are not the finisher, sir. You are the starter. You are the author. I'm the finisher. Yes, sir. You are the author. I'm the perfecter of my faith. And if you are happy to, to share the credit and that reduces the quality of God you are, and that's fine. But if he could not preserve you, he will not have dared to save you. You don't see a computer operating itself. Yeah. Except advanced AI is built into it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's what you get to when your mind is renewed. It's advanced mind, mind, mind control. Your, 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 your mind tells your body how to run. Not your body telling your mind how to run. Your spirit downloads, your, your mind downloads from your, from your spirit and feeds your body. And the submission starts to become easy because your mind is renewed. It's the mind that resists submission. An unrenewed mind that resists submission. And next week I'll show you the levels that they are to submission or the, yeah, let me use the word levels or the different, shall I say, expressions, for lack of a better word, of submission. Submission to God, submission to spiritual authority, submission to civil authority, and to what measure? Spousal submission. Church submission. One to another. And then for some of you, some struggles will cease. Even from today. Struggle to be accountable. Struggle to be governable. Struggle to take instructions. Because each time you receive an instruction, you feel like you have been belittled. You feel like somebody is rubbing in your face that they are over you. It's your own renewed mind that is feeding that info. Because if your mind is renewed, you understand that ours is a servant leadership. But you see, your own renewed mind cannot grasp that. Your own renewed mind sees leadership as something that should be grasped for somebody else to serve you. So when somebody gives you an instruction, you feel insulted. Your mind is not yet renewed. Your mind is not yet renewed. But when your mind is renewed, then you know that there's no limit to servitude. No limit to serving, to loving. And it's beautiful. You are so beautiful when you're submitted. You glow because of the rest you have come into. You're not struggling. You're not struggling. Even as a wife, even as a disciple, even as an, I mean, servants in the days, you see that next week, were told to be submitted to their masters, even when their masters are wrong. You see in First Peter, I'll show you next week. That's why I said, submission is not a function of what you know. It's a function of placement. Oh, I have a lot to show you. I'll take you through Philemon next week. Paul's letter to Philemon about a mutual concern of theirs, theirs called Onesimus. Onesimus was Philemon's servant who now ran away, ended up with Paul and got born again while with Paul. And Paul knew Philemon. In fact, Paul raised and pastored Philemon. Paul now writes to Philemon and says, I'm writing to you about a mutual matter. Onesimus, who is yours but is as much mine now. He has messed up. I appreciate that he has messed up. But he has come upon a new life. And I'm sure that he was, because Paul says actually that he was not profitable before. Onesimus was not profitable before. But now is profitable both to you and to me. So I'm sending him back to you that you receive him as you would receive me. Paul is writing to Philemon to tell Philemon to receive his runaway slave who was unprofitable 
but now by virtue of the grace of God that brings salvation, is profitable to both of them. Receive Onesimus as you would receive me. Paul goes further to tell Philemon, he said, you cannot even disrespect Onesimus because you, you owe your life to me. So I'm beseeching you as a brother to receive this, this guy, but more importantly, I am instructing you to receive him because your own life, I own it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me show you. Go from 17. If you count me then as a partner, receive him as you would receive me. Tipity. Submission is a lotto. So if you consider me your friend and partner, accept him the same way you'll accept me. Paul is telling a guy who bought a slave, who ran away after doing nonsense. Paul acknowledged the slave did nonsense. But as he ran away because of the nonsense he did, he met light. The light he met now makes him son, Paul's son. And because he's now Paul's son, Paul writes to somebody that he has jurisdiction over. Philemon was a pastor. There was a church in his house. I'll show you next week. And it says, if you regard me as a, a fellow servant, receive him as you receive me. You say, ah, sir, I regard you all. But. Are you receiving instruction today? Yes! It's not as if I don't regard you Because even you, you will not believe if, if anybody tell you that I don't regard you. I regard you But. It gets worse, verse 18. Please look at this. And if he has stolen anything from you or, your, or owes you anything, just place it on my account. And that's pastoral leadership. Paul took responsibility for Onesimus' mess. Paul said, I'm happy to smell terrible for, for the sake of Onesimus. But why are you so involved with your people? Why? That's the pattern I'm imitating. Oh, you are too with your people. You are too into your people. They'll familiarize yourself with you. So they're already doing it. But I cannot change because of what they are not doing right. Their mind will renew and meet me where I'm doing what I'm doing. Paul said, if he, has, if he owes you anything, place it on my account, charge it to me. It's me that stole it. It's me that owes it. That's the pattern we have inherited to imitate. You, know, you, know, you see, as a pastor, the, one of the biggest pains of a pastor is to be betrayed by people you covered. To be betrayed by people you covered at great expense. And it's more painful when you know that the only other option out of this is to sell them out to redeem yourself. Because you cannot redeem yourself without selling them out. And then you consider it and you decide to be quiet and take a beating because you will not break confidentiality as a shepherd. That pain, you will never know what it feels like. And the people that take advantage of it the most are the people that know that you are better than betraying them. So they squeeze you. And you get many opportunities to be carnal. You get many opportunities to be nasty. You get many opportunities to fight back. But what we have learned from scripture about opposition is to ignore it. But we take it. We smell like you. We got you. Because that's what we learned. And you will catch up. Go back to 18. If you're stealing anything from you or owes you anything, just place it on my account. Now go on. 
I, Paul, have written these words in my own handwriting. I promise to pay you back everything. To say nothing of the fact that you owe me your very self. Message, verse 19. This is my personal signature, Paul. And I stand behind it. I don't need to remind you that you owe me your very life to me. So he was asking a favor of Philemon, but also requiring it as an obligation. Because you yourself, that you are making noise and you are forming vex. You are where you are because of the grace of God upon me. New King James. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self besides. I'll end in verse 21. I'll pick it up from there next week. 21 in the TPT. Paul says to Philemon, or Philemon, depending on your Bible teacher, I'm writing to you with confidence that you will comply with my request and do even more than what I'm asking. Message, 21. I know you well enough to know you will. Your pastor ought to speak of you like that. Ah, Ought to. Otherwise, you're on a long thing. Deceive yourself all you want. Be wise all you want. I know you well enough to know you will. You will probably go far beyond what I've written. Amplified. 21. I write to you perfectly confident of your obedient compliance. Since I know that you will do even more than I ask. New King James. Having confidence in your obedience. Can your obedience be spoken of without doubt? Can your compliance be spoken of without ambiguity? Can your subscription to what is put ahead of you be referenced as a yardstick for others to follow? Paul says, okay, you, you, you don't know the history of this story. Guess who took this letter? So guess what gave Onesimus enough time for Philemon to read? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Paul sent me, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I'm sure the guy had a sword. Paul. Give me that. Give me that. Give me that. Give me that. That's my pastor. I'm mad at you as hell, but that's my pastor. Give me that. I, I, I want to kill you. You deserve to die. I'm sure Paul himself. Give me that. As he opens it, Paul has captured his very emotion in the letter. And instantly a letter changes how Philemon receives Onesimus. A letter. See how short it is. A note if you like. But that could happen because the guy was confident in the submission. Of his procedure. He was confident. That once this letter can get into the hands of Philemon. Onesimus is fine. Onesimus is fine. And that's a beautiful place to be. I'll show you next week. How proud Paul was of Timothy. My God. Ha! Paul could beat his chest anytime, any day. In any letter. About Timothy. Submission is beautiful. When you're broken, you yield in spite of what you think you know. And then you realize you don't know as much. Honestly, you don't know as much. So remove that air off of yourself. Remove it. 
Remove that voice off of your head. Pressure from friends, enemies, frenemies. You know frenemies? Enemies like friends. Friends who are enemies in your ear. Did God say, do you have to? Is your not too much? Are you not losing yourself? Are you not, are you, are you not becoming somebody else? Yes! His name is Jesus. Yes! You're changing. That's the whole idea of salvation. That I change, that I evolve as I look and become. I'm not becoming a better version of myself. I'm becoming somebody else entirely different. I'm a new creation. I'm not new improved homo. I'm a new creation. I never existed before. Deal with it. I know you. This is not the new I know because it was the old me. I'm new now. And you never struggle with submission again. Because you cannot be fashioned beyond your willingness to submit. You cannot. You cannot. I told the lady, I said, you cannot be with a guy and hope to end up like, looking like somebody else. You end up looking like the guy. So the only option you have is whether or not to be with the guy. You cannot be with the guy and want to be like somebody else. You will be like the guy. That's the design. You can't be looking at Jesus and end up looking, looking or appearing like your chief priest in your village. You become what you behold. Now your only choice is to not enter. But you can't choose how you stay. That's the Christ life in us. Now, I haven't finished this, but I'm sure you've been instructed enough. Yes. It's very practical lately. Very practical. Let information that you know to be true change you. Do something because the word says. Not because you feel it. I didn't feel it. What do you want to feel? And then you hear, I didn't feel it in my spirit. Can you hear how confused you are? Is spirit a feeling? Spirit is not a feeling, it's a knowing. You can't feel it in your spirit. If you wanted to feel, you were relegating spiritual instruction to your mind. So your mind stands in the way. I don't feel it. I don't feel it. God didn't spoke to me. The word that the Bible said is all the spoken that you need. God needs to speak to me personally. So the word is what? Publicly. You want to see mene, mene. Take care of unseen. Now in the night, you now see the wall now open. Pa! Jonas, Jonas. Walk thou before me and be perfect. Forgive Utube. Forgive Utube. If you don't forgive him, wake up. Oh, Jesus! Jesus. Hey, 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 hey! Are you instructed? Thank you, Father. We yield, Lord. We yield. We submit to you. We choose you over ourselves. We can't lead ourselves anywhere. We choose you over ourselves. Time and time again. In every area of our lives. We choose you. Every resistance melts at your word. Every resistance. No matter how much sense it makes or doesn't make. Just because it is your word, we yield. Just because he is your word, we yield. In totality. In totality. And we walk into the fullness of the rest that submission avails us. We seize the struggle. It's pointless. We seize the struggle. We behold and we become. In every area, we behold and we become. And we thank you for it. Amen. Come and give God praise, everybody. Tonight.
This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.